to NURFM 103.7. We're talking travel now, and Sally Lucas joining me, Jan Klein. Sally, we all know that when we travel overseas, we need a passport, and it seems some of us have a choice. Some of us do, uh, but there is a funny story I could tell you, Jane, about a, someone I knew once who had a passport and travelled to New Caledonia, I think it was. And anyway, they were going on another trip sometime later. She was only quite young, got to the airport, and her friend said, do you know where your passport is? She said, yes. Well, where is it? At home on the dressing table. Really didn't think she needed to take it. She didn't think she needed it. Once you left the country once, that's all you had to do. You didn't have to carry it with you anymore. So that's a funny story. But anyhow, um, most people obviously only have access to one nationality of a passport. But some of us, I guess, depending on, you know, where our parents are from and where you've been born can have that uh, availability of a, of a second passport of another country. Um, to let you know, Australian passports for the record came six on the list tying with Greece and Singapore in terms of holders not requiring visas. So we're getting up there. Um, we used to need, of course, visas for far more many countries than we, we now do. That makes it quite good to uh, travel on an Australian passport. It does. And on a list of 219 countries, Australians can enter 167 visa free. But listen for this. The Kiwis better us by one. <laughs> they can go into one more country than us. <laughs> but never mind. But the very best passports to hold in terms of entering countries without restriction are those of Britain, Sweden and Finland, mm. which is interesting. But apparently Britain signed treaties with many countries in the days when it was quite powerful and possessed a global empire and established these scenarios then. So that was very clever of them, wasn't it? Um, then second um, or equal on the list of desirable passports are those of the United States, which surprised me a little, Denmark, Germany and Luxembourg. But the funny thing is 50% of Australians own a passport. But nowhere near that many of Americans do. They do not travel anywhere near as much as we do, which is quite interesting, isn't it? So they've got about any, well, less than a third of Americans' whole passports. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? It is. But the best one, they say, for passport desirability, um, some travellers, including spies, consider the passport of a low-profile or neutral country to be more beneficial, such as Switzerland or New Zealand, um, because of the fact that they don't have many enemies in the world and all that sort of thing. So, But isn't that interesting, though? I just thought it was just one of those little articles that came in and, of course, some of the other countries that can't get into hardly anywhere, um, like a Lebanon, Libya, okay. Nepal, Sri Lanka, Sudan, but the worst is Pakistan, Somalia, Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, they can only gain access to about 31 countries visa-free. Mm, so they still can travel, but, but just not nearly as Not nearly as extensively as we can. So yeah. we're very lucky, and I guess because we're so far removed is why so many of us hold passports, because for us, we need a passport to just about go to anywhere. So, except we our do. own country. So. We do, yes. So, there you we go. We have to travel, too, to get to other countries quite yes, a bit. and quite a distance at that. Now, speaking about travelling overseas, the mm. United States is in the middle of a shutdown. It's not good, is it? Mm. Uh, particularly for people that are there when this is happening. I mean, if you've gone there specifically to see the Smithsonian Institute in Washington or do national parks or the Statue of Liberty or... You can't do any of those. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> they've shut down all 401 national parks suspended the operations of various major US attractions. Um, Air travel and rail travel operates as per normal. But you're not going to get those photo opportunities because you're just not going to be able to get into a lot of these monuments like in Yosemite and all of that. The last shutdown occurred 17 years ago 
and lasted 20 days. But, you know, they're really worried about this, what a direct impact or dire, dire impact it's going to have on the economy as well. Yes, or well, certainly tourists, as you but say, t- tremendously yes. affected. And, I mean, if you were thinking of going, I guess a lot of people would now put that on hold, obviously. Um, those that have already bought tickets, unfortunately... It's not not a reason you can claim on insurance for, so you know mm. they're, they're they're stuck. So does that mean perhaps changing your itinerary so that you look at cities rather than national parks? Yes, I guess you just you know let's just hope you weren't just going there to look at monuments. I guess and national parks. I guess that's the thing. I mean, if you're going to Disneyland to take the kids, or you know, but a lot of people do like to include national parks like the Grand Canyon or something while they're there. So it's a bit sad, but let's just hope it gets resolved sooner rather than later. Mm, yes. Um, our first Dreamliner Jetstars brought into the country after all the hassles the Dreamliner has had. It's had lots of hiccups um, before. It's been taken an extra five years to get one out here, actually. But um, it did have issues with apparently battery fires, fuel pump issues, and all sorts of other difficulties, which have all now been solved. Excellent. Of yes. course. Um, so it's the first of theirs, and I think New Zealand's going to be next getting theirs about mid-2014. So, um, yes, we've got a lot more on order at Jetstar, which they're going to introduce introduce services from mid-November and probably mainly into the Asian areas. And the, th- the thing with Dreamliner, which I have talked about before, is that um, uh, the air is better. They've done something with humidifying that you're not going to get as um, jet-lagged and dehydrated. Um, they've raised the um, cabin lockers, so it appears far more spacious on the interior. Um, and, yes, there's less noise. It's a much, much quieter aircraft. But having said all that, they all still want to put in as many seats as they can. Mm, don't they? So economy, you still might have a more comfortable seat, but you're not really going to have any more leg room. We're talking travel on to a new RFM. Thanks to our sponsor, Travel World on King. And we're still staying with airline news at the moment, Sally Lucas. We are. Qantas has just been recognised for the eighth consecutive year as being the best Pacific airline at the 24th Annual Travel Trade Gazette Awards. So that's quite a feather in their cap, and it's nice to see that our own airline is winning awards still. Um, I must admit, I'm still a supporter of Qantas, and I know uh, we've had some customers um, call in saying that, that I, I support too many other international airlines. But, I mean, we talk about all of them on this we try to cover everybody and give them all a little bit of airplay. So, I mean, I'm giving Qantas some today for those who don't think I'd give enough to Qantas. So uh, this is quite a, a tribute for them anyhow, and it's much valued to them, of course. And this is mainly for their flights throughout um, Singapore, Hong Kong, Bangkok, uh, between Australia and Asia. And, of course, it's one of their key markets. And um, they've just opened a multi-million dollar lounge in Singapore with another one due to open in Hong Kong in the first quarter of next year. And from late next year, they're also introducing completely refurbished uh, their Airbus um, 300 aircraft, which will operate on those key Asian routes and with new business class seats that can be left in a reclined position for takeoff and landing. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So that'll be a key point of difference between Qantas and other carriers flying flying into Asia, and Qantas offers 130 flights to Asia every week, So, and also available with partner airlines to over an additional 120 uh, cities within Asia. So it's a very good network for them. But talking about another airline now, as I said, equal share, Cathay Pacific, they do have premium economy. Now, I'm sure that people do get sick of what we call flying cattle class uh, occasionally and don't have the funds maybe to secure a seat up the pointy end. But, you know, there are a few airlines now offering you this option of premium economy. Now, what you're getting with that, as I've tried to explain before, the best way I can, it's, it's a seat 
that is like the old business class seat used to be before it became a bed. So it's a seat that gives you a much bigger seat, a much more comfortable seat with headrests, with footrests. Um, so you recline it like a Jason recliner rocker, if you like, if that's a way of describing it. And, of course, you get a hell of a lot more leg room. So just consider that if you're wanting to fly, you know, and, and not, especially on longer haul flights. Um, the other ones that can offer you that is Qantas still has a premium economy, British Airways, Air New Zealand, Virgin, Cathay, of course, as we've just said, and Japan Airlines. So, you know, we'd really think if, if it's a good option to take. It's a little bit more expensive, but nowhere near as expensive, of course, as business class. What about sideways space? Do you get you should get Yes, you get that as well, and you only just the seats are like twos. So you've got two where there normally would have been, say, three. So you're getting that nice wider seat and you're far, far more leg room, so you're not having to completely step over people to get, you know, in and out of your seat. So it makes it a lot better. Now, with um, the uh, cafe that's on their A330s, their 747s and their 777s, so they've put premium economy into the whole range of their fleet, which is good. And the cabin is limited to just 26 to 34 seats in that section, so you've got your own crab and crew looking after you, your own toilet facilities. So that's really good when you think about it. You just feel like you're in this small plane. You don't feel like, you know, that you're in this huge aircraft, which can be daunting to some people. Now, your legroom stretches stretches rather to about 96 centimetres rather than 81 centimetres as it would be in economy. Each seat reclines 20 centimetres and economy it's 15. And then I said you have your footrest, which has got three positions. Um, what you would like and you have a 30 centimetre television screen in the back of the seat in front of you as well so yeah and it's, it's really nice you get nice attentive service and it's a lovely way to travel if you can't afford business class but can just afford that little bit more so just consider premium economy if you can't remember which airlines I'm said your travel agent will be more than happy to let you know which airlines offer that service and just briefly Jane I just thought we'd mention we know of fast trains have been around in Europe for a while now but mainly we think of them as being between countries Whereas now a lot of the European countries are introducing high-speed rail within their countries. Italy in particular now has got a fabulous range of high-speed rail options for you. A lot of people find driving in Italy daunting. Um, you know, they, they, they drive with an accelerator. I think no brake and a horn instead of a brake, so get out of my way. So, yes, it can be a little daunting, but it's fun anyway. But, for example, like you can go, you know, Florence to Rome an hour 20. Milan, Rome, you know, only two hours 40. Mm, Rome, Venice, you know, is only three and a half hours. So just consider that if you're, you know, a bit worried about driving, you can get good rail passes, but there are lots of high-speed rail services within Italy now. Spain's got quite a few as well, so it's a nice way to get around Spain also. It's probably also faster than driving. Well, it can be, and then you've got tolls. See, a lot of these motorways in Europe now, you've still got tolls and things to pay. And also, once you get into any of your major cities in Europe, you try finding a park. Mm. Yes. Good luck. Mm. And unless you understand your road signs, which if I can just briefly say, make sure it's explained to you if you are picking up a car. I've known someone to come home and get thousands of dollars worth of fines because they were parking in Italy in areas that they didn't realise they were not allowed to park in. So be very, very careful and make sure you have the signs explained to you, whatever country you're in, so you know what is a no parking area. Thank you, Sally Lucas. Thank you, Jane. And we've been talking travel today. We'll do it all again next Friday after the 1 o'clock news on 2NURFM.